You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. So how about you give Jeff a big hand as he comes and shares the word. All right, bless God. If you've got a Bible, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, before I read, I need to explain my face. So this, this, my face didn't look this handsome on Thursday, but um, this is what happened on Saturday. So I'd like to tell you that I was hurtling down a hill on my mountain bike, crashed, bounced into a tree, but because I'm so manly, I just got up, shook it off and kept going. That's what I'd like to say. But uh, what really happened was uh, at the men's breakfast, uh, Pastor Trevor said to me, can you use an axe? Now... What he said was, can I use an axe? What I heard was, can you city-dwelling Queenslander use an axe? Ten seconds later, I've got blood pouring off my face. To make it worse, um, do you guys guys all know um, Banjo and Cooper? To make it worse, blood streaming down my face, Banjo and Cooper come and stand next to me like this. And they're watching me. And um, they're going... Jeff, that's not how you chop wood. So, so here I am, this city Queenslander, being educated by a six-year-old and a four-year-old. So they go, no, no, what you've got to do is you've got to stand the wood against the big stump and just lock it in place and then hit it downwards. And every time I did a good stroke and the wood flew, these kids go, yeah! <laughs> I'm going, I can't believe this. I'm being, I'm being educated by a six- and a four-year-old. Which leads me to the book of James. We're going to read uh, James chapter 1, verse 12, and um, I'm going to preach almost hypocrisy, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and show you the benefits of trials. Who likes going through trials? You have no idea how many times I have ripped James chapter 1 out of various Bibles. You know, I don't want to go through trials. Rip. All right, James chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 to 12. I actually can, I'm going to read it from the backboard because uh, I bought the New American Standard and I think we've got the NIV. Oh, let's read from the NIV. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy. I'm just going to flinch. Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, so that's when you, when you're going through your various trials, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Father, I just pray this morning for the next 20 minutes, God, just open your word to us. Lord, I pray for every person in our church today who is going through some trial of of various kinds. God, let them learn how to face it with joy, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. 
You know, by, uh, by way of introduction, I just want to remind you this morning of what a great... By the way, before I go any further, I really enjoyed the music this morning. Isn't it great having a cello, having a violin, having, ha- having an invisible drum? It took me half an hour to work out where the heck that drum was coming from, but I worked there. Wasn't it good? Isn't it good to have great music in a church? Uh, right. I want to remind you of what a great book James is. And it's a great book because it is a practical book. Now, I like that. You know, my trade all these years ago, I was a mechanical fitter and turner. So there is nothing better for me than when there is something that is practical. You know, something that I can look at, work out, apply, and it works. It's practical. It's a practical book. And, uh, you know, Proverbs is the Old Testament equivalent of James. You read Proverbs... And Proverbs is a practical book. If you live your life this way, Proverbs says, this will happen. If you live your life this way, that will happen. If you love your wife, this will happen. If you are a a pain in the neck, this will happen. You know, Proverbs is a good practical book. And the book of James in the New Testament, and there's only five chapters... The book of James is a practical book. If you read James chapter 1, you'll understand it talks about being a quick listener and a slow talker. You know, that is a good lesson to learn. I am 57 and a half. I have not yet learned that lesson. (laughs) See, you in the front row, didn't you see my wife shake her head then? James chapter 2 shows what happens when we we, uh, live with favoritism and we show favoritism to people. James chapter 3 shows what happens when we don't master our tongues. Haven't learned that one either. James chapter 4 talks about submitting to God. James chapter 5 talks about what to do while we're waiting for the second coming of the Lord. So James is this really good practical book. In James chapter 1, these verses that we've just read, is going to show us how to stay steadfast to God in the midst of various trials and testing. James chapter 1 verse 1. It said, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Now, I don't know if you've uh, read the book of Acts just lately, Acts chapter 7, 8, 9, but it's all about Paul, Saul, when he was uh, an insolent man and just breathing murder and hate and, and persecuting the church and annihilating the church. And it says that all the church, apart from the apostles, was scattered all through the region. And James is speaking and writing to those saints, all those Christians who have been scattered about. You know, these are people who understand what trials and complications are. These people understand persecution. Uh, you know, just by way of um, a pause for a second, I noticed before you were talking about missions. Yeah? So, church, we live in Australia. We do not really understand yet what persecution is doing. You know, uh, the Australian, so a secular newspaper, the Australian, wrote an article uh, two months ago, and I kept it. And it said that right now, in this day and age, at this moment, there are more Christians being put to death every single day since the day of the Bible, since the Bible days. There are more Christians being martyred and persecuted and killed today. So these people understand it. We, we, we've got our own trials, we've got our own persecutions, which I'll get through in a minute. 
But these people he's written to, they've lost family, they've lost loved ones, they've lost livelihood, they've lost livestock, they've lost business opportunities. They are persecuted and they are dispersed everywhere. And James is writing to them and say, the, the corresponding thing you need at this time is you need to face it with joy. Well, how do you do that? How on earth do you go through hell and, you, and the corresponding response is supposed to be joy? How do you do that? Well, James is going to tell us. You know, how do you do it? But you know what? Scripture gets worse than that. If you read 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 13, it gets worse than... I mean, I don't like James. James gave me a hard time, so I ripped James out once. But Peter gave me a worse time. Peter says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though this is some strange thing that's happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And when his glory is revealed, you will be glad with exceedingly joy. Well, what's that about? How am I supposed to go through a fiery trial and I'm supposed to have joy? I'm English. If I go through a fiery trial, my default is to sulk. You know, if someone's given me a hard time, I'm going to either retaliate or you know, as Kathy will say, I'll probably just sulk for a month. You know, what, what do they give me a hard time for? Why am I going through this hard trial? I don't want to go through a trial. You know, I haven't hurt anybody. I haven't evaded the tax. You know, I don't deserve any trials. God sometimes puts us through a trial, yeah? In a minute, I'm going to give you three benefits of a trial. You know, it's funny, isn't it? When, when, you are, when, you are, when you're not a Christian... You've really only got one enemy. Do you know who the enemy is? When you're not a Christian, do you know who your enemy is? Your enemy is God. When you are not a Christian, your enemy is God. You think about this. Uh, Romans 8 verse 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. But you know, God, uh, for the non-Christian, he is this good kind of enemy. Because he's always coming towards you to try and do good. God is always coming towards you to reconcile. I was saying this morning, I've got a friend who's a plumber. And the best example I can give of this is when the cat gets stuck in the drain and you ring up the plumber and you say, I've got a, can, can you come and help me? My cat's stuck. And you know, the plumber, he comes towards the drain and towards the cat and the plumber probably just wants to shoot the cat because he knows he's in trouble. You know, and the cat is stuck and the cat can't get out of the drain and this poor plumber, he puts on his welding gloves because he knows what's going to happen and he's just coming towards the cat to do him good to rescue him out of this uh, sticky situation, this sticky manure that he's got himself stuck into, and all he's doing is trying to do good, and all the cat wants to do is scratch and rip, and that's what we're like, aren't we? You know, before we get saved, you know, God is coming towards us to do good, and we just want to scratch and fight because we're in enmity against God. But then, when we get born again... Now we've got three enemies. We've got the flesh, we've got the world, 
and we've got the devil. And those three are coming towards us, not for good, but to do us harm. You know, the world is trying to squeeze us into its mould and into its pattern so that we lose our peace and our joy. You know, the flesh is waging war against us because, you know, our flesh is trying to please itself instead of trying to please the God. And the devil is just a mongrel. He's just out to kill and steal and destroy and wreck us. And that's why Peter is saying it's not a strange thing, all right? So, are you ready for three benefits? Three benefits of trials? First of all, there are many various trials that you and I go through. Now, we're fortunate because we live in Australia, so we're really not going to be persecuted, are we? Not really. You know, we might say to people at work, we're a Christian, and they might say, well, you're on blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we're not persecuted like in Pakistan. We're not persecuted like in Sri Lanka. We're not persecuted like in, in, in Arabia. You know, we're not. Not really. But here are some of the trials that we face, all right? Fighting sin can be a trial. When we are fighting sin in our life, it can be a trial. Sickness can be a trial. When we are fighting various types of sickness, it can be a trial. The plans and purposes of God in our life can be a trial. People can be a trial. You know, our inability to budget our money correctly can cause a trial. Poor decisions can cause a trial. Temptations can be a trial. Our children can cause us trials and tribulations. Three things. Are you ready? Number one, the very first benefit of you and I going through a trial, church, is that it produces patience. The very first benefit of you and I going through a trial is it produces patience. Verse 3, what did it say? I can't remember. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces the New, King, the New American Standard says endurance. If you've got a New King James translation, it probably says patience. If you've got a, um, a NIV, it probably says perseverance. Or some of your translations might say that word is steadfastness or endurance. You see, this Greek word for patience is hypomony. And it means this. It means patience. It means perseverance in the trial. It means steadfastness, endurance. You know, it is, a, it is a quality that you and I as Christians need. It is a hallmark of a Christian. Patience, endurance, steadfastness. <laughs> are you good at this? You know, when you're going through a trial, are you good at being patient? Or do you just want to go, God, get me out of this? <laughs> you know, when you go, are you, do you have endurance? Do you pray, God, give me endurance? You know, we need this when those three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil comes at us. You know, when the world, you know, we live in this, we live in this bizarre world. And uh, Kath and I came up with this phrase a while ago called morality drift. Morality drift. You know, the only people whose morals should never drift are the saints. And do you know why? Because it's anchored in the Word of God, isn't it? You know, what we believe in marriage is, is, is from the day of creation. We, we, we haven't changed. We believe a man and a wife should love each other, they should stay married, they should have kids, they should do all the right things. We believe that. We haven't changed. Our morals don't drift. But the world changes. And all of a sudden, here, do you know I was listening to a story a, a little while ago 
In the 1920s, a guy goes to the bank and he goes, uh, I'd like to borrow some money. And what do you think the bank manager says to the guy? 1920s. The bank manager said, what church do you go to or what synagogue do you go to? And uh, this is in a story, this is, it's in a book about management leadership. And the guy goes, well, what does that matter? I just come to borrow some money. And the bank manager goes, well, how can I trust you to pay me my money back if you don't belong to a church or a synagogue? Now, 2000, 1920, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 80 years later, can you imagine a bank manager saying that? You know, the, the moral values have drifted so far. So, so far. There's a great verse in Luke 8, 13. And it's that parable of the sower. And it says, um, what does it say? It says, when temptation came, they fell away. Verse 13, but the ones on the rock, remember when he's sowing his seed? The ones on the rock, those who hear the word, receive it with joy, but have no root who believe for a while and in the time of temptation, it's the same word, in that time of testing, in that time of trial, they fall away. See, if we, if we don't have perseverance, if we haven't got endurance, if we haven't got steadfastness, during a time of trial or when the enemy comes our way, we are in danger of falling away. I don't want to fall away. I want to get to the end and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, I need patience for that. And I'm English. And patience isn't my default. <laughs> it's terrible. Now, when, I think, when you think of this word patience, right, don't think of it in the passive. Don't think of sitting down in the doctor's surgery waiting. Patience is not a passive word. That word patience, hypomona, that steadfastness, that endurance, that perseverance is not simply the ability to bear things. It is the ability to turn things into greatness. It is that patience that you see in the eyes of the marathon runner who isn't just sitting down waiting, he's running with endurance and he knows that there is a reward at the end of the line so he just keeps going. It's that endurance, that steadfastness, that patience. That's what we need. That's what I need. And you know, the only way that that can come about in your life is that God allows testing and trials to come your way. If testing and trials don't come your way, patience does not come about. How bad is that? That patience, it's, the, it, it's that intent, it's that thing that makes us stronger at the end. The Greeks used the same word for sterling silver. I uh, did my apprenticeship as a fitter and turner. And I did it in the 1970s in a bronze cast iron foundry. Now, I don't know if you've got any idea what a foundry was like in the 1970s, but it ain't like what it is now. So it's a fiery, dangerous hell of a place. And I still remember watching them put all the allies up. Yeah, I'm 15. I'm watching them put all the allies in the pod and then they heat it up to the, I don't know what it was, 1,000, 1,200 degrees, whatever it was. Then they put the other allies in and some guy comes in with his, well, actually, we didn't even have silver suits in those days. He just scrapes all the scum off the top, all the dross, all that slag off the top. Then they put a few more allies in and they heat it up again and he comes up and he just scrapes it off. And I can remember being in a kid looking at this pot without even safety glasses on because it's a different world and you can see your reflection. 
You know, that's what happens when we go through these trials. It's like God burns all that dross off, all that rubbish out of your system. It's the same thing when God tested Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. It's that same thing in Judges chapter 2, 22, where it says God left the enemies in the land to test Israel. You see, the purpose of the test, folks, now listen to me, church. The purpose of the testing is not to make you fail, it's to strengthen you. It's not to make you fail, it's to strengthen you. Uh, I've got all these stories about being an apprentice, so sorry about the stories. I can remember we used to uh, make things out of metal. Is there any metal workers in here? See, I can say anything, you're just going to have to believe me. <laughs> you know, I remember... That's a good argument. I can remember making this, these, um, these punches for, the, uh, for the, the press machines out of metal and you, you make them out of cold rolled steel and you turn them up and you measure them, you turn them up and then you get the oxytorch and you, and you warm them up, you warm them up and you see the colour change from blue, no, 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 from straw, it goes from silver to a straw colour to a blue colour and you stop, you let it cool down no, you don't. You get it and you dunk it straight into the oil. Then you pull it out again, clean it up, heat it up again, and then you put it into cyanide powder. Here I am, I'm 15 years old playing with cyanide powder. It's a bad trade. But you know what that does? It hardens the steel. So when you start banging and pressing things out of metal, it doesn't break anymore because you have worked it and you've hardened it. And it's, you know, it's wonderful. Testing makes us strong. Testing produces steadfastness. Testing produces endurance. Testing is horrible, but it is beneficial. They're not meant to make you weak. They're meant to make you strong. You know, that's why we can rejoice when we go through a trial. Because if we are wise and if we understand, all of a sudden we realize I'm going through a trial, but this is how I can rejoice. Because now I know that God is at work in my life. And because I know God is at work in my life, what is the corresponding response? It is joy. I go through a horrible time, I go through a trial, and I can either go like a pom. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Are there any palms in the place? Forgive me. Like an English gentleman, I can either sulk and spit and cry or I can hold up my hands and go, God, you are at work in my life. The very first benefit of going through a trial is that it produces patience. Look at what verse 4 says. It says, you are so on the ball. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you want to be mature and complete and perfect? You know, I say to my wife all the time, Kathy, oh, I'm just about perfect. And she says, yeah, you need some more testing. You need some, you need some more trials. Which is her wife saying, you ain't even close to being perfect. <laughs> you know, but some of you are like Mary Poppins. You know, you, you just look in the mirror and you think you're perfect in every way. <laughs> Do you know what I'm trying to say? Perseverance is a good thing for us. Number one, the first benefit of trials, the first benefit of trials is that it produces patience. Let's look at verse 5. The second benefit of going through trials and testings in our faith is that it helps us to gain and develop wisdom. Verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Now, 
What is the context of James? It's when you're going through trials, when you are going through burdens, when you are being tested. That's the context of James chapter 1. And James is saying to the people, whenever, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. When? When you're in the middle of your trial. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. The second benefit of going through a trial is that it will help you develop wisdom. I need wisdom. How many times? (laughs) Oh, I could tell you some stories. How many times have you been in the midst of a trial and you've held up your hands, you've gone, God, what? is going on how many times have you walked like psalm says through the through the mist of the valley of the shadow of death and you've held up your hands and you've gone god what is going on how many times have you felt the world wage war against you and you've just gone god what has happened how many times have you felt your flesh hound and tempt you and you've held up your hands? You've gone, God, why am I fighting this fight again? You know, how many times have you felt the devil trying to destroy you? And you've just gone, God, what is happening? I want to encourage you this morning. I nearly said this morning, didn't I? I've practiced to say this afternoon because I never get to preach in this afternoon. So how many of you this afternoon know that you should be going to God and asking God for wisdom? You know what it firstly says there? First of all, it says, if, if you lack wisdom. That means sometimes you don't lack wisdom, you've got the wisdom. You're going through a trial, you've got the wisdom, you know what to do. But some of you, it says, if you, lack, if you lack wisdom, ask God. If you don't lack wisdom, you know what to do, then do what you should be doing. Do you remember David? Someone once said to me, one of the best assets that I have is my memory. You think about David. David, fought, he, he's standing there before, um, he, gets, he gets attacked by three different people. So, so David, his dad says, go give the brothers some goats. He's in front of them, and uh, I think he's... Is it Eliphaz, his brother? Eli, it starts with E. His brother goes, what are you doing here? You know, you know, his brother gives him a hard time. King Saul gives him a hard time. Um, who's the other guy who gives him a hard time? Big tall guy. Goliath gives him a hard time. <laughs> he's, all these guys are giving him a hard time. And what does David do? He's confident. Why? Because he remembers what God has already done. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't lack wisdom. He remembered that God helped him from a bear. He remembered that God helped him from a, a lion. And he knows because of that and that, God's going to help him in front of Goliath. If you lack wisdom, ask God. So here's the question. What is wisdom? Think about that for a minute. Just see if you come up with an answer in your head. What's wisdom? Wisdom is not philosophy. Wisdom is not philosophy or intelligence. Wisdom and knowledge are, you know, they're both recurring themes through scripture, but they're not synonymous. What is wisdom? This is a, sorry, brother. Sorry, man of God. Wisdom, church, is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is, is, is simply intelligence or knowledge or even understanding 
and it's the application of it. It is the ability to use these things. It's the application of knowledge to think and act in such a way that common sense prevails and choices are made that are beneficial and productive. How many times have you seen people do something and, the, and it's just disaster, disaster, disaster? You know, they, they make wrong choices, they make wrong decisions. Wisdom, ask God for wisdom, is the practical application of knowledge. It's wonderful. Wisdom, wisdom. Why do trials help us to get wisdom? Sorry. Why do trials help us get wisdom? Because trials force you to get back on your knees. Isn't that amazing? Do you know what happens when I don't go through trials? I forget to pray. When I'm not going through a hard time, I forget to pray. I do. I don't know why, but it's just a human nature. It, you, just, you just do. But when you go through trials of various kinds, it forces you to get back on your knees and you start going, God, help me with this. God, don't let me forget you. God, help me. Do you know uh, the historians said that James, who wrote the book, his nickname was Camel Knees because he just had these knees that were so calloused and, and bruised. and you know He was just on his knees constantly praying, God, help me. So if that is what wisdom is, this practical application of knowledge, how do you get wisdom? Because James says, ask for it. So I'm asking. If I'm asking, how do I receive it? How do I get it? One, God may speak audibly to you. Oh, that would be so nice. Jeff, you idiot. Why are you doing this? Try this. You know, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> you, have, you have no idea how close to the truth that could be. <laughs> you have no idea how many times my wife has looked at me. And luckily she didn't go, you idiot. But she's gone, why have you done that? <laughs> that could be, oh, that wasn't a word of knowledge. <laughs> I'm going to lose it. God, God might speak audibly. He might quicken the word of God to you. You know, as you're reading through scripture, you're asking God to wisdom. He might just illuminate the word of God to you. You might have been reading something for, for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, it just quickens. It just becomes alive. And you know that you know that you know. God might do it that way. He might nudge you in your spirit. Now, if you don't know what I mean by that, I don't know how I can explain it. But, you know, you, you just asking God for wisdom and all of a sudden you just get this nudge inside and you just know that you should be doing something. You should be going a certain way. You should be saying a certain thing. You know, even in your work environment, there have been times when I've, you know, I work for a science company and there are times I'm just going, what the heck am I supposed to do about this situation? And you just get this nudge and you just you know, you, you just step out in faith and you say, hey, I think this is what's wrong. And all these engineers and scientists just go, okay, let's go what he just said. And I'm going, God. You know, he might just give you a nudge. He might fill you with peace. So, so you're trying to work out which way to go and all of a sudden this peace of God just infuses you. He might send someone with a word of encouragement. Probably not my wife because she'll be saying, you stupid, what have you done that for? He might send someone to give you a word of encouragement. He might even correct you and realign you. But rarely, 
Rarely, from my experience, does God remove you from the trial. Isn't that a horrible stuff? Isn't that horrible? You know, in my life, rarely has God removed me from the trial. Because in the trial, I am learning something. I'm learning perseverance, patience, endurance, whatever the other one, steadfastness, or I'm learning wisdom. Verse 4 says, Let patience have its work. Learn in the trial. Become perfect. Lacking in nothing. Have you ever thought, it's too much, I can't stand any more God? Have you ever done that? 1 Corinthians 10.13, saints, it says this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, there's that same word again that James uses, he will make the way of escape so that you can bear it. You know, you go right the way through Scripture. God rarely, rarely does he take people out of the trial. You think about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, (coughs) Abednego. I reckon when they were on the outside of the furnace, they were praying, God rescue us. Did God rescue them? No. They went into the furnace. You know what? They experienced God in a better way in that trial than they would have if he'd been out. When Daniel is at the front of the lion's den, you know, and um, who was it? Darius? Darius didn't want to throw him in, but he had to throw him in because he broke the rules. When Daniel was on the outside, do you think Daniel was praying, God, don't let me fall in this cave with these hungry lions? He still went through the trial and God shut the jaws of those, or the angels shut the jaws of the lions. Did Daniel experience God in a better way for going through the trial? Yes, he did. So my experience in my life, God rarely takes me out of the trial. He leaves me in the trial until I quickly learn (laughs) wisdom, patience, endurance, steadfastness. Because he wants to make me perfect. You know, do you know what that verse also said just before we finish that? Can I go back to that verse 5? He should, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. You know, here's the thing I love about God. You know, every now and again, I'm going to mess up. And, and you get yourself in trouble. You go through a hard time. It says that we can ask God for wisdom who gives generously to, there's that word again, all, all, all means me. I don't care about you. All means me, because I'm probably going to mess up more than all of you. And he says, he gives generously, he generously, generously to all without finding fault. You know what that just simply means? It means that God is good. It means that God is gracious. It means God is kind. He knows you're going to stuff up. Ask for wisdom quickly. He's not gonna. He's not gonna. Um, he's not gonna rebuke you. He's not gonna condemn you. He's not gonna reproach you. He's not even gonna find fault with you. He's gonna give you wisdom, and he's gonna give you practical guidance and help. And if you fall over again, he's probably gonna give you someone like your pastors and just give you a clip over the ear. Learn from it. Get up and move again. But God is good, right? Eh? You just gotta ask. Number three. 
Number three, and we'll get ready to close. The third benefit of trials is they help you develop joy. They help you develop joy. Now, that's a weird statement. You know, when you go through trials, you don't think the natural outcome is going to be joy. You know, I'm English. You go through trials, the natural outcome is sulking. You go through trials, I'm just going <laughs> to whinge and whine because that's my default. But Scripture says, if I go through trials, joy should be my response. I should be moving and breathing and living and outworking joy. Now, you remember we've got three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. The world and the flesh are focused on happiness. I don't want happiness, I want joy. You know, happiness is all about things that are happening to me and I'm going to be glad because while they're happening and when they stop happening to me, I'm not going to be happy. I don't want that. I want joy. You know, the flesh is craving for pleasure and happiness. The devil is just, he just keeps nudging and prompting the flesh to seek pleasure. But scripture tells me that joy can come to me. Consider it all joy. Choose joy. When you are going through uh, various trials, choose joy to be the response. Don't be like me. Don't choose sulkiness. Don't choose aggression. Don't choose anger when all the world is coming against you. Don't choose anger. Don't choose um, retaliation to come out of your mouth. Choose joy. Choose joy. You know what joy means? I, just tr try and think what joy means. I, I, I have wrestled with this word. I have wrestled with it to try and work out how, how I can understand it so I can live my life with joy. All right? This is how I describe joy. All right? I describe... Now, joy is action. All right? I describe joy as rejoicing because of God's grace. Because of God's grace, my reaction is joy. You know, when I understand that God is at work in me, I am glad, so I rejoice. Yep. Because I know that God is working in my life, because I'm in a trial and I know he is working in me to perfect me and give me wisdom, I lift up my hands, I go, praise you, God, you are working in my life. That is joy. You know, I understand that God is working on my faith and my character, so I am glad, so I will rejoice. That is joy, because I understand that I am impure and God is purifying me. I lift up my hands and I will rejoice, because God is working in my life, and that creates joy. You know, Nehemiah 8 verse 10. I bet you can't get that one fast. Duh! <laughs> He's better than what I thought. <laughs> Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Woohoo! Send, send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hebrews 12 2. See if you can get from Nehemiah to Hebrews quick. <sighs> Sorry, I'm just trying to see if I can. No, there's no joy, I'm sulking. <laughs> Hebrews 12.2 says, Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. What did he do? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here, here is the best way I can describe joy. Timothy Keller said this, Joy is a spiritual buoyancy that comes when we are rejoicing in God. So the devil comes his way and he belts you poof, and he gives you a trial and you go, do you remember when you were a kid, you had those pump-up things, you used to punch them and they just... Do you remember? Am I the only one? Yeah, we've all known. This is what joy is like. The devil comes away and he tempts your flesh, bang, and he hits you. But joy goes, my God, you are working in my life to perfect me and up you come again. And I reckon the devil goes, what the heck just happened there? So the world comes and the world tries to blend you and mold you and boing, down you go. And up you come again. And you're going, God, you are working in my life to perfect me. That is joy. It's this buoyancy that comes our way. William Booth's mother said this. William's Booth. William's Booth. William's... <laughs> William Booth's mother of the Salvation Army when she was dying... She said, the waters are rising, but I am not sinking. But when she had been saying that all through her life, she said, other floods beside the waters of death have gathered about her soul, but I am not sinking. J. Howard said this. He said, this then is the promise of the Lord, not that the waters of trouble shall never gather about the believer, but that he shall never be overwhelmed. I love this. He said, he shall keep his head above them. Yes, to him shall be given the grace of aboveness. I like that. We are going to go through waters. But he keeps your head above it. It's this, it's this spiritual buoyancy. You've just got to pray, God, give me wisdom. What are you trying to teach me? Timothy Keller said, this joy, this buoyancy, does not mean we are impervious to suffering. It means we are unsinkable. We are constantly getting wet. We are constantly being pushed down. However, we do not stay down. We do not sink because we are buoyant. How did, Apostle, Apostle, how did the Apostle Paul say this? In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8. <laughs> this guy is so good. He says, We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So how do we face trials with joy? We lift up our hands and we go, God, you are working in my life. I will rejoice. And, the, you know, Kathy and I at the moment, we have four children, boy, girl, boy, girl. You know, within three weeks, one of our boys has gone off to New Zealand, off to New Zealand and our youngest daughter's gone off to England, you know. And uh, it, was a, it was a difficult time for some reasons that we're not going to talk to you about. And in the midst of it, you know, what do we do? We lift up our hands and we go, God, you are great. It's like what David said in the Psalms. He, he, he said, why art thou downcast my soul? Yet will I hope in God. Yet will I put my faith in God, my rock. Church, you and I will go through various trials. The response is joy. When you're going through trials, all I can say is lift up your hands and thank God that you are going through a trial because he is wanting to do a work in you. Amen? Let me pray.
And let me hand back to your pastor. Mighty, mighty God. Father, I just thank you that you are gracious. Lord, that you are kind, that you are merciful. And Lord, I just pray today for whoever in our church this morning is going through any trial, those various kinds of trials. God, I pray you help them to lift up their hands, look you in the face, and just praise you for who you are, regardless of what's happening. Even though the world might be falling, we will praise you. Even though my body might be sick, we will praise you. Even though the world might be falling, God, we praise you because you are our rock and our strength and our strong tower. And God, we praise you today. Amen. Thanks, Pastor.